0: I wanna invite you to turn to John chapter four, verse 23. So Jesus, just at verse 14 of chapter four, he's talking to the woman at the well, and he's having a conversation with her about the Holy Spirit welling up within a person, overflowing into life to the full. And, And they continue that conversation to where Jesus now comes to define and describe what that overflowing life of the Spirit is all about. So if you're there, would you join me in standing for the reading of the inspired scriptures? We do this as just a way of identifying with our full bodies that what we're reading right now is like no other text. We believe that this is inspired by scripture, handed down and given to us for our building up and our edification. So we receive it standing in a posture of receptivity. John 4, verse 23, Jesus says, but an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Let's just pray for, for our time together today. Holy Spirit, you have been so faithful to be with us over this series. You've just, it's evident you're doing a work that's beyond what I could have planned. <sighs> And so, God, I just ask that today you would just continue that work again. May we continue to experience. May some of us step into, for the first time, experiencing. May we all just receive, Jesus, what you called this living water overflowing and abounding out of us, this, this nickname that you give the Holy Spirit. We pray for that today. Spring up a well within my soul. Spring up and make me whole, as the old kids song used to say. That's what our desire. Holy Spirit be with us. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. So just notice here in John chapter four, there goes my notes. We'll get those later. If it goes long today, that was the moment. (laughs) John chapter four, this is where we really get, get scary. John chapter four, the conversation with the woman at the well was all about living water overflowing This this Holy Spirit coming into a person and then overflowing out into life to the full is what he calls eternal life, life unto the age. And here he describes that five times. One word in these two little verses is repeated five times. In the surrounding of chapter four, it's used out of that... 12 times in John's gospel that the word worshiped is used. It's used 11 just here in chapter four. More times in all of the New Testament is the word worship appears so tightly collected than right here. What is life overflowing to the full? The, the, the spirit that's springing up within me, Jesus, five times for the sake of clarity and emphasis says it's worship. It's worship. What is the life of more? What is the life that the Spirit fills and overflows out of? It is the life of worship. Now, worship, we gotta do a little bit of kind of Bible nerdery for a moment because worship is one of those words that like, depending on who you ask, worship is the genre of music on like Spotify. It's used to talk about what we just did a couple minutes ago and what we're gonna be doing in a few moments. Those who've got a larger, like, you know, they've, they've done a little more reading and thinking, understand worship to be about all of life and not just musical worship. But the problem is, is that it's a Bible word. Like faith or holiness, that when you read it in the Bible, most of you didn't even notice the emphasis of the word worship showing up five times in those two little verses, just because it's a Bible word. You just expect that like every other word is gonna be worship. And so what I wanna do is, is kind of clear some way by talking about the word worship. Translated from the Greek... That John's gospel was written in is proskinio. Can you say proskinio? You're learning Greek. Proskinio is a compound word. Uh, pros meaning to or toward, and kinio is to kiss. So to worship is, is literally translated as to kiss to or to kiss toward someone. And it's not romantic, it actually comes from this ancient custom. You'll see it behind me. Oh, thank you so much. Um, It's an ancient custom that when, for um, the Persians, you would come into the royal temple, like the royal palace, and come before the king, you would either bow and kiss toward the king, you'd get down on knees and kiss the ground, or lay down in the dirt and kiss the feet or the hem of the garment of the king. Now, the Greeks and then later the Romans, they said this is not for any kind of human. This is only for the gods. And so they would have that same posture when they entered into a room or they would come before an idol of one of their gods. As they came into the presence of one of their deities as like encapsulated in the idol, they would bow and kiss toward it. They would literally kiss the idol or they would lay themselves down and kiss the ground in front of it. So when Jesus is using the language of worship, he doesn't, he's, not, he's not talking about... At least immediately about Hillsong, you know, Bethel, whoever, you know, you, the worship music that you like. He's not immediately talking about what we do in the Sunday gatherings. What he's talking about is what we could say is, is three things that are going on within this kind of word. The first is that worship is about the priority of the person who's being worshiped. Seems pretty, you know, immediately clear. Like that's kind of evident. But just to make it explicit, worship is about the priority, the centrality, the value, the worth of the person that's being worshipped. That, when I walk in the room, whoever's being worshipped is the thing that stands above me and, in my opinion, everything else. They are the priority. They are the center point. From that, in acknowledging and affirming that, worship is, second, a posture of the worshipper, an embodied way of communicating their devotion, their allegiance, their deference, their surrender to the one that they've deemed as being worth the center point of it all. But then third, this only happens in the context of third presence. So as the priority is acknowledged, as the posture is taken, both those things can only happen when both parties are present with one another. You can be allegiant to the king throughout the rest of the week. You can be devoted to your God and you know to, that, that was present in the idol throughout the rest of the week. Worship, proskinio, is the moment that we are present to one another. When I come into the temple or I come into the throne room and I acknowledge your priority, I take a posture of deference and we see and are with one another. So worship, whatever it means, is first that this is the center point of what all worship is about. So yes, it's about intimacy. Yes, it's about at some level expression. Yes, it's about naming. But first and foremost, it's about who's at the top, who has surrendered or given themselves to the one that is in charge, that they identify and acknowledge as being their sole focus. And then this happening as they are in the presence with one another. So to bring this back into Jesus' talk here and what he's getting at is the life that's overflowing with Holy Spirit is the life where the Father takes the priority that he is worth as the creator as the one who's saving and creating and redeeming, the one who's holding together all things. There, there is, this is the creator God, there is no, in the words of the psalmists, over and over again, there's no other God worthy of worship like our God is worthy of worship. True, the worship that Jesus is describing is first and foremost what the Holy Spirit does is it sets God as the chief priority in the individual's life. But out of that there comes this embodied posture A whole self living towards, as Romans 12 12 puts it, offering my body as a living sacrifice to God. In the words of of the Hebrew prayer, the Shema, that we begin to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Out of seeing God as the center point and the priority of my life, there is no part of my life or my body that does not bow underneath him as king. And then third, this happens when God is present to me as I am present to God. And this, this, is the, this is the outworking of what Jesus is talking about when he talks about worship. This is what Jesus calls true worship. And so part of what Jesus says here is at the very beginning of the passage in verse 23, he says, an hour is coming and is now here when this true worship will take place. This language of Jesus saying an hour is coming and it's now here is a regular pattern in John's gospel where how Jesus talks about his ministry, what Jesus has come to do. Whenever he's talking about me, he's talking about the sin or he's talking about the enemy or he's dealing with all these different things. He'll regularly say the hour is coming and is now here for this to take place. What he's talking about is what he's come to do. Jesus says my mission statement, me, what I've I've come into this world to do is to open the door for true worship. Through my life, through my death on the cross, through the forgiveness of sins, through my resurrection and conquering of death, through my ascension to the Father to reign as king, through my sending of the Holy Spirit to indwell my people, all of that is taking place so that the true priority of who's really king of the universe might be seen. The Holy, so that we might truly take a posture of receiving all that God has for us and so that through the Holy Spirit, he can be present to us. And so this is what Jesus says. This is what I've come to inaugurate. When I talk about the kingdom of God, I'm talking about true worship. When I talk about discipleship, I'm talking about true worship. When I talk about life overflowing to the full into eternal life, I'm talking about true worship. Now this is, I, I, I Was going back and forth on whether or not this would show up because of of time. So I'll try to make this brief. But just, I want to acknowledge something that's not immediately in the text, but it's worth saying. If Jesus says, I have come to send the Spirit to lead you in true worship, what this infers is that the Spirit is coming to lead us out of false worship. Like, just notice this that, like, what Jesus assumes, he doesn't just say, I've come to bring you worship. As, as, as though Jesus is going, nobody's worshiping God or the thing that you are worshiping isn't real worship. The problem is you're just not worshiping, so I've come so that you might worship. He says true worship. Jesus, this goes back to something that I I talk about all the time. Jesus assumes that the natural proclivity of the human heart is worship, is proskinio, is for me to name something as the priority and center of my life, which I take a posture of whole self-devotion to and I chase after its presence. I chase after having it. In this framework, then, nobody is not worshiping. It's just a matter of true or false worship, of worthy worship, of the creator God being at the center of my life, or me putting something else either alongside him or in place of him. And so it may be another God, another deity. It may be yourself. It may be your career. It may be a relationship. It may be, name the thing. The language of the scripture is idolatry. False worship is when we lift up something into the priority place that cannot bear the weight of it. And so then what happens is when we do try to relate to God, of course we have a posture that's all wrong. We, we show up with, with passivity. We, we disengage and we kind of pro, at, at a take it or leave it way of relating to God. And then this leads to a lack, a, a, a sense of absence of God's presence in our life. Because true worship, they build off one another. Priority begets posture, begets felt presence. And so for those of us that are wondering, I feel like God's, I know that God's present everywhere or whatever, but I don't feel like he's tangibly present within my life. True worship would say, what's the posture your life is taking and what's the true priority? Do you feel like God is absent from you? Some of that may be there's seasons of where God leads us into times, but very most often, when we feel like God is not present with us, true worship would invite us to go, what's my posture? How do I relate to God? Am I giving my full self to him? Am I holding something back? And if I'm holding something back, what is truly the priority of my life? See, all of you have been out to friends or maybe out on a date or something like that where it's evident the person is not present to you because it's evident that their posture is turned down looking at their phone, which just all reveals that their priority is not on you. And so you may be fully present to that person, but they are not present to you. And in the same way, God, by his grace, is always present to us. He is always here. And the reality is that so often he finds himself looking across at us and it's evident that our priorities are completely on something other than him. Our posture is turned away from him. And so of course we don't feel like he's present not because he is, but because we're not. True worship is bringing all of this stuff back together again. Where we begin to find the priority of the God who is not, who actually is big enough to carry the weight of our worship. We begin to take a posture of full self-devotion and surrender to him, and then from that we experience his presence in new ways. This is what Jesus calls, if you go back to the, the text, worshiping in spirit and truth. True worship overflowing, this wellspring of life that is the Holy Spirit himself is when we step into a posture, a priority, presence of God that is shaped by spirit and truth. Now to find these two things really briefly, when we talk about truth, what we're talking about is why is God worthy of being priority in the first place? Who is God? What is he up to in this world? Who am I in my relationship to him? And the way that that truth is shaped is through these spirit-inspired scriptures. And so true worship is shaped by this, not my expression, not what I feel about God, but by this. There are so many of us that we worship in the absence of truth because we're worshiping largely in the way that we feel rather than the truth of who God is and what he's up to in the world. So to worship in truth is to worship with a right-shaped mind where we name and see God as the true priority as our minds are shaped by the Spirit-inspired scriptures. They conform to God's revealed word. Spirit, worshiping in spirit, is, is when we feel it. When the Spirit is present with us, not just in theology of omnipresence, but in like our actual tangible experience. When my heart is warmed, when my my body is is experiencing God in a particular way, when I am feeling God present with me in through all of it. And so what Jesus says here is that both of these things belong together. But what's interesting is how for most church communities, we, we separate them, don't we? We have churches that are very, very big on worshiping in truth. And so they're like Bible geeks and Bible nerds out the wazoo. We know theology, we study scripture, we have a high view of the word of God, and so it's all about, in a post-truth context, we're all about truth. And then you have the other ones that are, they're about worship, and there's, there's a movement on worship and, and praise, and the, there's an energy and a joy and a life, and they view the truth people as dead and boring, and the truth people view the spirit people as nutsos in both sides. But what is it? What is it? Spirit and truth. John Piper. John Piper, quote. For those of you who know, they're like, I don't know who John Piper is. For those of you that do, this is, this is interesting. He says, truth without emotion, or we might say truth without the spirit, produces dead orthodoxy in a church full of artificial admirers. On the other hand, emotion without truth truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates shallow people who refuse the discipline of rigorous thought. But true worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine or teaching. Strong affections for God rooted in truth are the bone and marrow of biblical worship, spirit and truth. The truth of the gospel, the truth of your forgiveness, that your sin has been done away with, you can have a perfect theology of what's called justification, but apart from the Spirit, you'll never experience that deep well in your heart of assurance of forgiveness. You can know and read until your eyes go blind all of the promises of God in Scripture, and yet, it's the Spirit who fills you up with confidence as that truth gets ignited in your heart you name the theology, you name the truth of scripture, there is a dynamic difference of you hearing God loves you week in and week out from the stage or reading it every single day from the scriptures and it is different when the spirit warms your heart and you know it, not just here, but here. And so we want to be a church that worships in spirit and in truth and if here's the moment where I identify the live wire that we touched and we've been stepping on for the past 10 weeks, is I believe in many ways Collective Church has been a faithful church of worshiping in spirit for many years. Some of that comes from our leadership. Some of that comes from the makeup of many of you in this room, is in, a, in an age where people have thrown out the baby with the bathwater and people have lost sight of the truth of Scripture and going, man, we're gonna wrestle, we're gonna work through, we're gonna understand what God's will is as revealed in the Scriptures. We're going to fight for what it, what is truth in the midst of all of that being thrown out for the bathwater. We got Bible nerds and Bible geeks and book studies and, and, and so good. We're not getting rid of a drop of that. But the live wire that we've stepped on over the past 10, weeks is the spirit has taken all of that truth like kindling and lit it on fire. Like where for the first time, many of the things that we've been saying to one another, reading week in and week out, has been felt in your heart for the first time in a real way. Where God being present to you has been something that you've known all along, and yet when you've come forward in the response time of our gatherings, God, oh my gosh, this is what it's like. You've known the theology of the spirit gifting and empowering work, and yet for the first time you're going, I'm, I'm actually feeling it. This is, this is the kind, this is what renewal is all about. It's when what has gotten skewed gets brought back together, and in the words of Jesus, that we, we don't separate what God has put together. True worship is worship in spirit and in truth. Apart from truth, your priority, your sense of God is always gonna be all over the place. Apart from spirit, your posture will always be intellectually based at best, if not just kind of bored and apprehensive. And the presence will always be gone, will always be intangible, will only be something that you read in a book, but another something that you experience. And so I just, I, I name this to say, Collective Church, as we've stepped onto this live wire, the thing to keep in mind, the thing to lean into, is that this is true, what we're experiencing is true worship. when we begin to unite spirit and truth. And so this is what Jesus says in 424, excuse me, at the very end of 423. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. the language here is kind of skewed, but it's it's, this is what the Father not just wants, but seeks, or as it can be translated, the Father desires. You see, God, the creator, is not a narcissist. He's not looking for worship in any way that he can take it. He just wants people to kind of bow their heads and move along and like do the right thing, don't be bad. What God desires, what God seeks, is people who have a right view. They know God for who he is. that know how he feels about them And that worship in spirit, that is that they step into the presence of God through the spirit and are with him. He's not looking for distant people that kind of mail their allegiance and devotion to him every couple of, you know, once a week or once a month or whatever. He wants people that live in the spirit and worship their whole life out of it. He's going after intimacy. What the father wants is not you just being at a distance, yeah, I'm trying to do the right thing, yeah, read the Bible, whatever. He wants intimacy with you. He wants life with you. He wants the worship that comes as we understand him for who he is and ourselves as he sees us and we take a posture of receiving and and taking all of that and then finding his presence meeting us in the midst of it. This is what the Father desires. This is what Jesus has come to bring is this kind of life with God that he calls worship, worshiping in spirit and in truth. Now, the question is then, how does a community actively step into worshiping in spirit and truth? Jesus actually doesn't answer that for us here. But luckily for us, he had a buddy named Paul who wrote a letter to a church in Ephesus. Uh, Just notice this, Ephesians 5, verse 18 and 19. Let me read it, and then I'm just gonna identify some things here, what Paul is doing. He's he's picking up on what Jesus has, has just said here. Paul says, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit, be filled by the Spirit, excuse me, be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. So just a couple of things to identify. First, is just notice how much it seems like Paul is riffing on what we just read from Jesus, Jesus is talking about this water, uh, this, this well of living water that we drink from and filled to overflowing. And Paul almost like sees wine as the negative of that. He's like, you drink wine, you're filled to overflowing, but it's not with the spirit, it's with something else. So don't do that. Is any, was that joke not that clear? It's getting sick is the joke that I make. Drinking the wine filled to overflowing, right? You see that now? So, so Paul almost goes, oh, what Jesus was talking about, there's an inverse version of that in, in substances and alcohol or whatever. And so he says, don't be filled with wine, but be filled by the spirit. He's just picking up on what Jesus called life to the full, what Jesus called true worship, what Jesus called worshiping in spirit and truth, Paul calls being filled by the spirit. And, and, and how does this take place? How does this happen? Verses the second uh, verse 19, he's describing the Sunday gathering of the church. So, what is spirit filled? What does spirit filling worship look like? It, 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 it looks like this space right here. In particular, he identifies a few things I just want to make it explicit here. First, he says, speaking to one another, speaking to one another, or it can be translated, addressing one another. The whole idea here is spirit-filled, spirit-filling worship is, first and foremost, communal. The collective, the name. There is, does God fill people in individual moments, private moments of prayer? Absolutely. Is that the primary way that he seems to do it in a life of just about almost everybody in Scripture and most of the, most of the stories that you'll hear as you talk to people? No. The true priority of the Spirit, what the Spirit loves to do is gather his people, his family close. And in that context of holding one another as we're together with each other, that being the place that the Spirit works. The Spirit loves, yes, absolutely. The, the gift of the Spirit is that, is that God is with us not just in this time, but during the rest of the week. And yet this time, when we gather collectively, communally as a people, this is, there's just a unique work that the Spirit does in this place. And so I don't, I don't say any of this to shame. Like my family's in North Carolina with family right now. But I, I just, I, I simply put this out to say, Paul holds that there's an emphasis on the Sunday gathering as being more than just like a fun thing Christians do once a week. It is a primary place where the spirit fills us up. We're primary place where we experience the spirit filling us to overflow, where we find ourselves being filled with the spirit when we together step into true worship. So is it Monday through Saturday? Absolutely, and yet there's something about the weekly gathering that's worth prioritizing that as we gather together, the spirit does something unique. So what is the second thing that spirit-filled worship is? First, it's communal. Second, he says that as we speak to one another, we do this with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Second, spirit-filled worship is musical. I, I know this is like, yeah, worship, it's a genre, Right? but just simply the way that we proskynio to god is is through is worship he uses three different like groupings of music he talks about the first is psalms which is where we're singing psalms like from the book of psalms we did this with our first song this morning we sang from psalm 84 We've done this with Psalm 23. We've done this over and again with all of these different psalms. But part of it is is we're bringing the truth of Scripture and igniting it in spirit as we sing the psalms. And then hymns would be any other written like song, like extolling and praising God. Hymns would everything from like we sang a minute ago, "Come Thou Fount," all the way to you know whatever recent song was written last week or something, you know that that's there's just a full range. Both of these are. Musical. Now, here's what's interesting, and albeit a little frustrating for me as a preacher. When Paul says, be filled by the Spirit, and he describes the Sunday gathering, Paul, where's preaching? <laughs> now, here, first off, Paul was a preacher. Does he believe in the like very important like role of teaching and preaching in the church? Like, yes, I'll be the first to say that because my job depends on it. But <laughs> but just notice that for Paul. Being filled with the Spirit happens in the context of musical worship. Not that teaching doesn't do that, but I think what, what Paul, if we, were, we had him here, I think he would identify that there's something about the teaching of Scriptures that needs to be, yes, Spirit-empowered, but it's the delivery of truth, which is me setting the kindling up, or whoever's teaching setting the kindling up, that musical worship is then the time that the Spirit lights that on fire. So to be filled by the spirit, yes, we need teaching, but we need musical worship. Here's the reality, you guys are not going to be humming my sermon while you're doing dishes this week. You you just won't be. Like for good, for good or sometimes for bad, musical worship does far more to shape a community than the preaching does. We have a community that, like, we have a culture that overemphasizes on what's happening right now, and you expect, like, a TED Talk that's gonna change your life every single week, and I stay awake at night thinking about that, and so thank you. (laughs) I don't care what you think. Um, (laughs) I would not be in this job if I did. Um, But the reality, the simple reality is there is a unique role that the Spirit uses musical music in the life of the church to take the truth of the gospel and the good news of Jesus and bring it down in the depths of our heart where we're singing truth throughout the week. We're carrying it with us. We're giving an emotive expression to everything that God has been speaking to us. And so I just... The, the, the point, what I'm trying to say here is what I'm doing right now and what we do each week with having someone teach, the, the music on the front end and the, and the back end of that is not the entertainment around it. It's not the setup to it. I would argue this, what I'm doing right now, is giving clarity to what we've just done in the first two songs and setting up what the Spirit's gonna be doing in the next back set of songs. Like, I, I, I'm so, I'm a huge fan of teaching, huge fan of Bible. I, there's an emphasis here on what musical worship does in the life of the church that we have to retain, specifically when it's communal. As great as Spotify worship music is on the way to the work, there's something when we're speaking to one another in Psalm, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And so here's, I'll tell the story. Okay. Um, it was interesting. Um... Earlier in the series, I was sitting at the back during the response time, and I just taught on desiring all that God has for us and pursuing that. And as I was standing at the back during the response time, and so people responding, worshiping, coming to the table, someone came out and, and stopped and, and kind of grabbed me and, and did the normal kind of like, that was so good, thank you so much, you know, just kind of thing that you're used to. And you're like, I don't know how much of this is true, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> once again, I don't care what you think. Um... <laughs> And it was just so interesting that what, what they were relaying to me was, not just saying that the sermon was nice or whatever, but specifically that they were really wanting to step into and pursue more of the Spirit's presence in their life. And they're like, how do, how do I do that? And I was like, well, you know, it's, one, worship's happening, so I'm kinda like, out oh, the way it works, Like trying to like, say it quietly enough that like, if the music died out, I'm not the one screaming at the back. But what I was kinda relaying to them was I said, well, one, first and foremost, it is a lifelong journey of stepping into all that the Spirit has for us. But I said, you know, one of the week, because it was someone who I'd never seen before, I said, you know, one of the really central places of how we step into receiving all the Spirit has for us, being filled by the Spirit, is through, through musical worship, through what we're doing right now. Coming to the table, praying with one another, and singing with there's just a unique work that the Spirit does in that time. And so if you're wanting to step into that and looking for a really easy way to do that, just, you know, the sun right? What you're, what you're here for right now is the best place to do that. And they nod emphatically and they go, I'll see you later. And then they leave. And so I was like, I don't know if they had brunch. Like, I, I and they never, didn't see them again. If you're here, I'm, I'm not saying this to shame, but just to identify how we've, we've set such a value on the Sunday teaching. And so we show up halfway through the second song, if, the, if through that at all. Like, we show up in the middle of announcements. And then we leave, like, as soon as, like, we take, like, communion to go, like, do you guys have the doggy bag for this? And then, like, and, and I'm, I'm, again, I'm not downplaying the role of teaching. It's so formative in my life. It's what I've given my life to is teaching scriptures. But, but you're just, you're taking the kindling and expecting it to keep you warm during the week. What you need is truth and spirit, and the spirit just loves music. The spirit loves music. And so, As we continue, one of the things to identify here is as we talk about musical worship, Paul identifies songs, hymns, and then he says, notice, spiritual songs. Why not just songs, Paul? And why not spiritual hymns or spiritual psalms? What's going on there, right? You notice that? It's okay. What's a spiritual song? So here's what's interesting. You guys will remember all this if you've been with us throughout the series. When Paul talks about what's translated as the spiritual gifts or just It's literally one word, spirituals. It's spirit-empowered stuff. It's this word, pneumaticos. spirit. We talked about this pneumatic stuff, stuff that's empowered by the spirit. And that's the word he uses here to describe songs. Spirit-empowered songs. Songs that are in the same category as tongues and healing and prophecy is what he's doing. So what's going on here? What it would seem Paul is describing is unrehearsed, improvised songs whereby those leading worship. Following the prompting of the Holy Spirit, lead in what sometimes spiritual songs are referred to as prophetic songs. Where just as we're playing in between songs or in the middle of two verses, or or that that it just senses this is a chorus right now. This is this is a melody. This is something that we're just going to sing this right now, and we just lead and it becomes prophetic that it's not something that that was planned. Maybe something that was given space for, but it wasn't like, so then we're gonna take a break and I'm gonna make it look long enough like I'm trying to listen and I'm like, oh, doing this. And then I'll start <laughs> singing these songs. And so the keys, you guys got it already that right now. It's just improvise. Like what, what there seems to be is there's a, an empowerment of the spirit that takes place in the Sunday gathering in the same way that we look forward to prophecy or healing or any other work of the spirit in the gathering, that the spirit takes the time of worship and even will kind of Orchestrate and conduct and lead us to worship and say things that are specific to the occasion and to the moment, and so these are this just this empowerment. So spirit filled worship is communal, it's it's musical. That musical worship then is empowered, and then finally it's it's what he says. Not just Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. He then says, singing and making music. Notice he's just talking about how musical worship is. But he says specifically, with your heart to the Lord. Or specifically, it can be translated, with all of your heart to the Lord. And so this is just the final thing. And what is spirit-filled? Spirit-filling worship, it's communal, it's musical, it's empowered, and it's, it's emotive. It's all of the heart it is, there is joy welling up. There is shouting at certain times. There is, there is um, in the words of Lamentation chapter four even, it becomes embodied because it says, let us lift up our hearts and our hands to the Lord. That As we lift up, our, our bodies get involved in worship as well. And so, when we're feeling deep comfort, we may just—it may be a piece that we just we sing within. When we're rejoicing at what God has done in the work of Jesus, that we're singing out with celebration. When there's conviction, or there's there's something that evokes like tears within us, that there's there's like this is what making music with all of your heart, all of your emotions, all that's going on, all your feelings. And so, this is this is what does it look like when the Spirit is filling and indwelling. What is true worship? Look, like, how do we pursue it is by this kind, we give ourselves to chasing after this kind of stuff in our gatherings. We prioritize worshiping as a community. We prioritize musical worship as not just like the, the side dish to what's happening on Sundays. We give space for the spirit to empower and work within our gatherings, specifically in our musical worship. And then we're coming with all of our hearts Remember Psalm 103 from a couple weeks ago. Those of you that are here, bless the Lord, all my soul. Let all that is within me bless his holy name. It's a motive, all that's within me. And so to go back to the double-doubles and the animal-style fries, the AJ in between fries and drink of Coke, the other things that he identified was, one, he said, I'm not sure I've, I've seen in recent memory, a church more hungry than community. We were talking about what that, how much that reflects on Los Angeles culture and the isolation and the over individualism that leads to us being communally malnourished. He said, I'm not sure I've ever seen a community more hungry for community, both in the Saturday teaching, but how long y'all just hang out in this room on Sundays afterwards. Y'all are just hungry to be together. And the second thing he said is, I, I, I can't remember being, the last time I was in a gathering where people were so free with their emotions. It's like, I'm just not sure like how regular, like people just openly feeling comfortable but also led by the Spirit in such a way that they were just crying during the response time. He's like, is that normal? I was like, yeah, pretty normal. Like we just got a weirdo church that just like, and so I, I say this to say, look, when it comes to how do we step into Spirit-filled worship, we've been stepping into what? Community? We've been stepping into a mode of worship and so we just, Man, I was just, I say all this to say, let's continue pursuing this together. But also, like as we do, let's also lean into, what does it mean for us to step into this being musical and, and empowered? And, and, the, the, for the, and the musical, the empowerment bit, some of that is just gonna be each week with the leading of those that are leading worship. And so in the same way with prophecy, you can't connive or make this happen. It's about giving space to that. But I will say when it comes to prioritizing musical worship is, man, let's, let's begin to start receiving the time of worship, not as we're just doing this for, you know, a little bit and then we'll go to lunch. Like whatever you may think musical worship is, what if we begin to be a people who saw Man, the first two songs, I'm showing up and I'm gonna be here right at 10 o'clock and I'm gonna be here for those first two songs as a way to set my heart into a posture of identifying the priority of my life and a posture of entering into the presence of God. And so I'm not gonna show up late. I'm not gonna show up missing out on this. I wanna, not for the sake of like being on time, but for the sake of man, I wanna set myself to prioritize this time that I have with God. And then after the gathering to go, man, we're going to chase after God's presence through musical worship in the second half. The sermon is not just the main thing. The main thing is all of this happening together, truth and spirit. And so I want to pursue that together. And as I close, I just want to end by looking at what are the two results? What does what is life overflowing to the full look like? What does true worship, what does worshiping in spirit and truth result in? Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 details it for us. He says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So when we step into the life of all the Spirit has for us, when we step into true worship, Paul says, what does it bring? Freedom. Freedom. Now, freedom is a a word that means nothing anymore because it means everything. And so freedom, on one hand, is just like outright hedonism. Freedom, on the other hand, is like independence. And you know we've got like July 4th coming up, and so we think of freedom as just like whatever it means to be American, and nobody else has that. But we have like all of these like, what is freedom? How do we talk about about religious freedom? We talk about all these different kinds of freedoms. And what I love here is that Paul identifies what he's talking about when he talks about spirit freedom. That the freedom that the Spirit brings is not a freedom to do whatever you want. The freedom that the Spirit brings is not independence from anybody else's, it's not freedom from responsibility. Freedom defined by the Spirit is the freedom to see and the freedom to be. The freedom to see and the freedom to be. The first is the freedom to see the glory of God. True worship that overflows, It the language that he uses is it unveils, it frees you to see the glory of God. The image that he's pulling on here is that there is a veil over our eyes. In the context, he's talking about uh, the Jewish people who have not received Jesus as the Messiah, but the idea that Paul would pick up on regularly is that all of humanity has this veil that we can see dimly through and see images of the glory of God in and, and creation, in and one another, and in love, and we see that there's some God that's at work within the world. There's some glory that's going on behind everything, but we can't necessarily put our finger on it. All these other religions are trying to put their finger, but all the time, it's through the veil. And what he says is when you step into true worship of prioritizing, the Father is Revealed by Jesus, brought through the spirit, the veil drops and you see the glory of God for who he really is. There's a freedom to see, he says. See the glory of God. This is true freedom. It's to have the blinders taken off your eyes and to see God for who he truly is. Paul uses this language of, of in a mirror, this way of talking about that in this life currently, that that, that vision of the glory of God is not direct, Regularly in the Old Testament, it's like it would just, it would do more than burn your retinas out. Like it would just, like, you can't handle the glory. And so, what he says is, it's like we've got this, like, you know, Medusa is the bad example, but like, something that's actually what Paul's picking on is that when, you know, when you fight Medusa, you know, snakehead lady, you look at it directly, what happens? Turn to stone. stone. You look at the mirror and then you can actually see it. And that one, it's, you you know, cut her head off, but that's not what we're talking about here. (laughs) But the idea is that we need some, at this present point in our lives, we need some mirror by which we're able to look at the glory of God and have it not disintegrate us. And the, the image that he says that we are looking at is Jesus. Jesus is the means by which we see everything about the Father and we see all that God is. We know his character, we know his works, we know what he's like, and we're able to look long at Jesus and even experience his presence with us through the Spirit and able to do it in a way that doesn't, you know, turn us into dust. And so we just, what happens, true worship, is we prioritize Jesus. We bow and we give our allegiance to him in this posture, and then as he becomes present to us, we're able to experience the glory of God, to see, he uses the language of looking at. It can be translated as beholding or contemplate, gazing, taking in. It's what you do with a baby in your arms. You just, you gaze. You just can't help staring at it, right? And he said, "This this is what, This is what the Spirit frees you to do, to see God. There's so many of us, man, if I could just see God, I would believe. Paul goes, you got it the wrong way around. If I could just see God, I would worship him. He says, "You, you first come to seeing Jesus and that becomes the means through which you see God. So first is freedom to see, the second is freedom to be. To be, as he says specifically, transformed into that same image. From glory to glory, he says, or one degree of glory at a time is how it can be translated. So the idea is that as we are able to see the glory of God in Jesus Christ, that it has, you don't see God without being transformed. And as you, by the Spirit, gaze on Jesus and see him, you slowly find, piece by piece of you, begins to start radiating with the same character and glory and spirit of Jesus. Where there once was brokenness, you start finding healing. Where there once was addiction, you start finding true freedom. Where there once was guilt, you now find assurance, where there was shame, you find joy, like that piece by piece, one degree of glory at a time, you start finding that you become a person more like Jesus, where there's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control welling up within you one degree at a time, one week at a time. And so, collective, once again, the live wire that we've been stepping on is true worship. We've been stepping into, for the first time, an actual hunger for some of us in here, a hunger for God that is not content to have God somewhere in the top three of like, if those of you that are old enough, like remember space, you'd do like top six friends. Like, like we're not content just to have God listed up there within our top six friends. Like we, we're, we wanna give full priority to God. And as we've done that, This has led to a new culture of worship within our Sunday gatherings. And as we have done that, we have begun to behold and see the glory of God in new ways. And it's transforming us piece by piece. So there's confession of sin. Some of you have new callings that you've been entering into ministry now because of it. Some of you are going into new pathways, new territory, sin that you're confessing, obedience that you're leaning into. Some of you are meeting Jesus and following him for the first time. Because this has become a community where the live wire has been stepped on of spirit and truth, and so collective church, we're moving into another series. Do not, do not, do not forget this moment, and forget the work that God's been doing in this time. This is what Jesus has come to do. The hour is here and is now. The hour is at hand. Is now here, where true worship has been given by the Holy Spirit. And and I am in many ways. I know that there are ebbs and flows to the life of the church. I'm not content to going back to pretending that being just a worshiping in, in truth kind of church is, is adequate. We want all that the Spirit has for us for him to take the truth of the gospel and light it up in our hearts in a new way. And so that's, that's, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna step into a time of response and allow that to happen.